0: I recall and have recalled over the last few days the first time I came to church as a born again believer at Easter time. And um, how moved I was, how incredibly moved I was by the reality of what Jesus Christ had done for me. Here we are 33 years later, and I've had 33 Resurrection Sundays. I'm a little bit familiar with the stories, a little bit familiar with the individuals, the parts that people play and the glorious truth of what Jesus has accomplished. But my prayer this morning is that God would take what is familiar to me and do something fresh with it. My prayer this morning for us as people is that we will have some fresh revelation about the impact that Jesus has had on our lives as a result of his death and his resurrection. For me, my spiritual journey has not been one that's particularly academic. I went to Bible college, had all of the trappings of trying to be respectable. That didn't work. You do know that respectability is not a fruit of the Spirit, don't you, Church? Some of you don't sound very sure. You do know it's not a fruit of the Spirit. And I remember turning up at this institution, and it's called an institution for a reason, and feeling like a fish out of water feeling like I didn't fit, feeling like all of these people had nice squeaky clean lives. And I was still very much trying to understand what Jesus was doing in me and what Jesus could do through me. Well, over those three years, the Lord birthed in me some great, great relationships and, um, and some insight and some revelation. I realised that probably if I was to put a title to anything that I feel that I would call myself, it would probably be a practical theologian. I find myself drawn out of relationship with Jesus to understand and to ask some questions like this. What does this mean for me? Christ, you have done and accomplished all these great things, but how do I access the power of the resurrection? How do I step towards being more aligned and filled with the truth that you speak? Father, what is it that I need to do to partner with you so that all that you have done for me can become a reality in me. I've never been drawn towards just having head knowledge. I want to have heart experience. I want my life, body, soul, and spirit to line up with what Christ has indeed afforded me through grace. And so what I'm gonna share with you today comes from that kind of place. It'll be familiar, hopefully slightly unfamiliar in places, but let us read together, shall we please? We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The Apostle Paul pens these words to the church at Corinth and he says from verse 12 to 20. Now if Christ is preached as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is also in vain. If we are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testify of God that he has raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sin." Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all men most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. When God sent Jesus into our world, he sent him to restore and repair everything that had been broken what had been lost with God in the Garden of Eden, that connectivity, that sense of purity, that sense of vulnerability, what had been lost in the Garden of Eden by a lack of trust from Adam to God was restored through an act of trust in the second Adam, Jesus, as we come into relationship with him and are born again. Everything that Adam had and more is afforded to us as we put our trust in the crucified and risen Saviour. And when I think that through, I realise this must be true also, that God in his infinite wisdom didn't just bring Jesus to deal with our sin, he brought Jesus into our world so that we could be reconnected fully with him, that everything had been lost could be restored. And indeed, God through the work of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection answers the question and the conundrum to the cravings and desires of the human soul. And I don't personally see any conflict between a God who lives to glorify his worth and a God who lives to satisfy my heart's desire. We were made by him in love and for love. In fact, I would say that I believe God is most glorified in me When I am most satisfied in him. And Paul is picking up on something here that for us today is important to embrace that Jesus came into our world to deal with sin. There was a sin issue and God needed to restore it. God was satisfied that Jesus Christ could pay the price and the debt for our sins. Aren't you grateful this morning? But not only did that happen, what also happened is God provided for us that we could be satisfied. That we, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, could become fully alive and fully awakened to our truest human form in relationship with God. After all, the gospel is good news. What has happened to us is good for us. What's happening in us is great for us. This isn't some academic exercise. It's a restoration process of a magnitude historically that has indeed transformed humanity one by one to such a point that they continue under the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to transform others. Paul is claiming in these words, the good news. What is that good news? That Jesus is alive. And because he's alive, our deepest needs and our greatest longings can now be satisfied. In John 10.10, Jesus says these words, they are indeed for me a life message. He said, I came into this world so that you may have life and life in all its fullness. And when I think about that, I think of the things that have become impoverished in my life as a result of the sin orientation that I had. And I think of the things that have been restored in my life as a result of the Christ orientation that I now have. Joy has become a part of my new experience. I once was miserable. It's hard to believe, isn't it? But now I have joy. I once felt very alone in this world, but now I have a companion that sticks closer than a brother. I once felt lost, isolated, separated, but now I have been reconnected with the God who created me. It's good news that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. It isn't just for us today as people who are his followers and disciples, a theological truth. It's a very practical day by day, moment by moment reality. And as we arrive on Easter Sunday, it's important for us to understand that what Christ has given us is available to us. This is not some ideology that's far off and distant. It's not even something we have to try and earn. While we were still yet sinners, Christ Jesus gave his life for us. We are the benefactors of the goodness of God. His kindness has invaded our souls and our lives to such a point that we're ruined for anything else. And we could never go back to the life that we had prior to him because it's empty and void of any fullness. But he is alive, and because he's alive, I can also be alive. Because he is risen, I can also rise up. I can rise up in my truest human identity and connectivity with the God of glory. I can become fully awakened to the reality of who I am in Christ Jesus, and fully aware to the reality of who Christ Jesus is in me. And Jesus came to fulfill and to satisfy not just God's need for sin to be dealt with, but he came to fulfill and satisfy humanity's need to be reconnected. These longings that we have at our hearts, we try and meet them through all kinds of counterfeit ways, but they can only be met through the one who created us. We can only truly be satisfied when we are reunited with Christ. And Paul identifies them for us in this scripture. Perhaps you can read it with me. He suggests that life without these realities is simply life that's not living in the fullness of the power of the resurrection. Look at verse 14. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. But we realize because Christ has been raised, our preaching is not in vain. Verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, then our faith is in vain. In other words, all that we've sacrificed, all that we've given, all that we've offered to God is pointless. But since Christ has been raised, our faith could never be in vain. Look at verse 15. If Christ has not been raised, we are guilty of misrepresenting God. Literally, we are false witnesses. But because we can testify that God has raised Christ Jesus from the dead, the apostles that we're reading, the stories that we're engaging with over the Easter time, and the lives that have been touched and continue to be touched by the power of this reality means that we are witnesses of the one who has been raised to life. Our work is therefore not in vain. Verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. But since Christ has been raised, our sins have been dealt with once and for all. You are no longer a slave to sin, but you are a child of righteousness. Verse 18, if Christ has not been raised, then those who have fallen asleep and have perished have fallen asleep in vain, When the New Testament speaks of people falling asleep, it uses the analogy of falling asleep because falling asleep simply brings clarity to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you fall asleep, what's the automatic thing that happens next? You wake up. But those who have fallen asleep in Christ have not perished. They have been raised with Christ to life. The dead in Christ shall live again. Verse 19 If Christ has not been raised, then we are to be, by most men's standards, pitied and despised. But since Christ has been raised, we are not going to be pitied. We are going to be envied for Jesus Christ's sake. So the Apostle Paul is highlighting to us the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ a certainty that he carries in his dialogue with us. And indeed, it's a confidence that's grown in him, although he never actually saw Jesus raised himself. About 22 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Paul has a road to Damascus experience where he sees the reality of Jesus. He meets with Peter and the other apostles and they tell him firsthand stories of how they had met with Jesus after he was raised from the dead. We believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ not just because the Bible tells us it's so. We believe it because many people in the New Testament saw Jesus after he was raised from the dead. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Peter, other individuals, James, even James, the brother of Jesus, who is not seen throughout the whole of the Scriptures as being a follower of Jesus, suddenly becomes a follower of Jesus after the resurrection. Now, I don't know what you think about that, but... What would it take for your brother to persuade you that you were the son of God? And James would have grown up in the same house as Jesus. He would have heard the sermons. He would have seen the miracles and none of those persuaded him. But he knew that his brother Christ had died on the cross and he knew that he had risen from the dead. And as a result of that reality for him, that clarity about what's happened, James gave his heart and life to following his brother, Jesus Christ. And right at the beginning of the New Testament church, we see that James was at the forefront of all that God was doing in the book of Acts. What Christ has done for us is so remarkable, we're gonna spend the rest of eternity trying to figure it all out. I am certain that we've begun that journey and encouraged that we can go deeper into the revelations that's possible to us. I want to go through some of these things with you and I want to talk about them from a point of view that I believe will help us have something fresh on Resurrection Sunday. Let's look at verse 17 together. Paul is saying that if Christ has not risen, then we are still in our sins. But I can say, and add to that, and that's not me being incorrect with the word, I'm believing this is what he means by what he's saying. I can say from a positive perspective, but because Christ has risen, we have been forgiven our sins. Church, the forgiveness of sins is the basic need and longing of every human heart. Jesus satisfied the wrath of God by dying for us, but he also provided for us a reconnection with God through his resurrection. We as human beings long to have clarity about how we stand with God. We have all sinned and fallen short of his standards and there's no help or hope for any of us if we don't rely on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The forgiveness of sins is the foundation of every other blessing that God wants to bring into our lives. Isn't it wonderful on Resurrection Sunday to celebrate the fact that we are not just forgiven, but we have been restored? Someone would say amongst us, I'm sure today, isn't it the death of Jesus that takes away our sin? Because he bore our sins and took our judgments. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3, and that's absolutely right. But the connection with the resurrection is very important In Romans 4 verse 25, it puts it like this, he was handed over to death on our account for our transgressions and he was raised on account of our justification. What this simply means is that his death has paid the penalty for our sins and purchased our acquittal. Our justification and forgiveness are now provided through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And since he achieved all of this on the cross, it would be wrong for us today to keep on thinking of ourselves as sinners when we have been forgiven and raised to life with Christ. We must start to adopt a posture of adoption and sonship and connectivity to the new life that Jesus Christ has purchased for us. No longer a slave to fear or sin, but a slave to righteousness, hope, truth, and the reality of the risen Christ." Everybody in this room needs to know they're forgiven. Deep inside, we all know we have a problem. We long for that forgiveness. We long to be right with God. And Paul clearly says to us that because Christ Jesus rose from the dead, we are no longer in our sins, but we are hidden in Christ Jesus. This is the most basic longing of every human heart. And part of the reason I believe that Christ rose from the dead to reconnect us to the God who created us. The second thing that's restored to us through the resurrection is found in verse 14. Instead of saying negatively that our faith is not in vain, we could say positively that because of the resurrection, our faith is well-founded. Or to put it more personally, because of the resurrection of Jesus, there is someone we can trust absolutely. Church, I believe that we were created to live in relationship with God, where trust was a given. But through our fractured state and our broken connection with God, we have become the kind of people that find trust very difficult. We have maybe reached out to others and tried to trust them, But you and I can testify that not everybody is trustworthy and even those who desire to be trustworthy sometimes in their own brokenness have disappointed us and let us down. So through Christ's resurrection, we have been reconnected to a relationship of trust with the God who is absolutely trustworthy. You can put your faith in Jesus Christ and it won't be in vain. He won't let you down. And guess what? He'll always be there. He's not going anywhere. He's never gonna leave you. He doesn't want to forsake you. He is absolutely dependable, reliable, trustworthy with every aspect of your life. You need trust and I need trust because we were made for it. We were created by God to be in a trusting relationship. And God even put a man and a woman in a garden to glorify him by trusting him for every one of their needs. But through their act of mistrust, they were disconnected from that trusting relationship. And man has spent all of his human existence trying to find the very thing that God created us for in other people. Our need has never changed, but we have an answer. Christ is trustworthy. He was trustworthy with what he said. He was trustworthy in his death. He was trustworthy in his resurrection and he's trustworthy in his ascension and he's trustworthy in that he sent the Holy Spirit to live in you until you are with him in glory forevermore. The death of Jesus proves God's love for us and the resurrection proves his power over the enemy in our lives. Jesus is someone you can trust You can count on somebody who will never let you down. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The third thing I believe that is satisfied through the resurrection of Jesus is found in verse 15. Paul uses the phrase that because people are questioning the resurrection of Jesus, then therefore the only conclusion can be that their work, that's the work of the church, the apostles, those who are preaching, and the work of Christ in and through them actually must not be true. But we can say with great certainty and confidence that because of the resurrection of Jesus, the apostles preached what was true, what is true. They are not false witnesses They are true. In other words, what they have established through their writings and their reflections and their reporting on the risen reality of Jesus Christ is trustworthy. It's certain. It's absolute. Now we live in a world where absolutes are frowned upon. People say there is no such thing as absolute truth. When you say there's absolute truth in any environment outside the church, People are critical. They're cynical. But actually, can I just remind you that in a world that's ever-changing, we have an absolute truth. We have a conviction that there are absolutes, that the Word of God and the reality of the resurrection is a certain thing. And what would happen in society if we had no absolutes? Well, the only working out of that would be that we have anarchy, and men and women will live according to their own moral compass. And many of us have recognized that that's a little bit default in its thinking. So one of the greatest needs for a human being in this world today is to be certain that there is a God who came into this world, died on a cross, dealt with their sin and shame, and rose on the third day to be gloriously incarnated in his church by his spirit, and he's coming again in glory to judge the living and the dead. Jesus even says this confidently about himself in John 14, verse six. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And then he rose from the dead to prove his claim. Jesus had the right to tell us what is absolutely true because the resurrection of God proved him to be absolutely truthful. You and I need that confidence to navigate the uncertainties of our world. I find sometimes that the church is guilty of having a theology that sometimes isn't a reality. Let me give you an example. We say things like this, we even sing them, Christ is enough for me. But then we try and add everything to Christ. So if Christ is enough for me, what do your works have to do with that? If Christ is enough for me, why are you trying to earn the love of God by human effort or endeavour? Church, I say with absolute certainty today, because we can trust the Word of God and the reality of the resurrected one we know is Christ, that Christ is most definitely and certainly enough for you. In fact, he's enough for everyone is enough for every person in every environment over the whole course of history. Christ Jesus is a certainty for humanity when we put our confidence in his resurrected reality. Look at verse 19 with me. Instead of saying negatively that we are not to be pitied, we could maybe turn that on its head and say this. Because of the resurrection... We are to be envied. Our preaching is not in vain. It's full. It's powerful. It's meaningful. It's valued. It's valuable valuable and significant. See, if Christ is not raised, then living for him, doing what he says, following his will, is a great delusion. We should be pitied. Some may even accuse us of being insane or living under some kind of cult. But since he has been raised and is alive and reigns as king forever, all of our obedience, all of our love, all of our self-denying is not to be pitied, but is to be positively envied. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of every breath we could ever bring. Everything we do, we do because we are confident in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything we give, we give because we are confident in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has overcome all things so that we can overcome all things with him in the world in which he's placed us. Paul uses this phrase in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 17. He says, this slight momentary affliction, I bet your slight momentary affliction doesn't seem momentary or slight. And Paul recognizes that there are troubles and difficulties and hardships to the Christian life. This slight momentary affliction is doing something in you. It's working for us, an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Every single person in this room desires for their life to be well spent. For their life to count for something. To have significance, to be useful, that they don't come to the end of their days and say it was all in vain, it was empty, it was pointless, it was useless, insignificant. And because of that, Christ Jesus rose from the dead so that our lives could be used in effectual ways for the extension of his kingdom and indeed the preaching of his gospel. Look at verse 58 of the same chapter. Paul knew this, and he ends the whole chapter with this clarity on the resurrection. He says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Say that out loud with me, church, will you please? Knowing that in the Lord our labor is not in vain. Isn't that the cry of the human heart, that life was not in vain, that the longing in our soul is to be significant, to give something back, to make a difference in the world? Isn't that what we desire to say at the end of our existence here on earth, that I haven't wasted it, that I used every day like it counted, like it mattered? I will only be able to do that with certainty when I have a clarity that Christ Jesus has risen from the dead. Because through that reality, I will have a strength to live differently. I will have a certainty that is steadfast and sure. I will know that my efforts and my energies, all that I give to this world that God has placed me in, does not make me a man with vanity, doing things just for his own purposes, But it makes me a child of God, reaching his hand out beyond his own situation and circumstance to help the world around him. I'll be strengthened by the clarity that comes from the resurrection. I will find the meaningless things in life and often the tedious or sacrificial things very valuable and very powerful to engage with. When Jesus rose from the dead... He demonstrated to us that because of that reality, our lives are not in vain and the work of Christ continues through us. And we must not grow weary in doing good because a time is coming when the church will rise in her fullness and the world will be enviable about what Christ has done in and through your life. And finally, Paul says that those who have fallen asleep are alive. Isn't there a desire in the human heart to live forever? How many of us have spent money trying to find potions and lotions that offer eternal youth? There's a huge amount of resource given to plastic surgery, and it does not restore the years the locusts have eaten. Why is that? Why do we want to stay forever young? Because actually in our spirit, we are forever people. We are eternal beings. And there's a longing in each one of us to come into connection with that reality. To know that when it's over here on earth, it's not over at all. It's only just beginning. Not only that all that we've lived out here has value and leaves a legacy for others to stand and work with, but actually we're going to live on past our human frailty into a place of eternal bliss with God. So Paul says in verse 18 that because Christ is raised, those who have fallen asleep in him, those who have died in faith have not perished. They are alive. They will live forever. They live the way Christ lived because they died the way Christ died. Because they died the way Christ died, they will live eternally with Christ and rule and reign with him forevermore. There is a joy beyond this moment. And that is that we will be with him one day. And our temporal and earthly frailty will fade in the presence of his ultimate glory. And we will worship him with all that we are. For eternity after eternity, we will give honour and glory to the one who is the King of Kings. So isn't this the greatest news on Resurrection Sunday? That not only was our sin dealt with through the work of Jesus on the cross, but our delight and desire to be fully alive is satisfied through that resurrection power. Isn't this the best news for all of humanity in and outside of this particular building? Isn't it what everybody is looking for? Isn't it what all of the work is for, all of the play is for, all of the relationships are for? Is it not true that God has set eternity in the heart of mankind and the only one who can satisfy that craving is the God who is eternal himself? Is it not true that we have looked for all the right reasons and maybe the wrong at times in all the wrong places, but he found us in the midst of our mire, in the midst of our mess, and he dealt with the thing that separated us, which was the sin that beseeched our soul. But on the third day, he rose from the dead as the scriptures foretold, and he came alive so that we could be fully alive. He rose up so that we could fully be raised up. Everything we long for is found in him. The resurrected Christ, to God be glory forever and ever. Amen. Jesus said in John 10:10, 10, 10, I've come here not just to forgive your sins or to deal with your problem with God, but I've come here that you should have life and life in all its fullness. I want to tell you, church, today that because he has risen, that life is available to you. Go on, thank him. Through his death and resurrection, we have been forgiven. One of the most basic needs of the human heart is to know this. It is well with my soul. He's not just the God who died for us, he's the God who was raised to life for us so that we can come fully alive in him. Through Christ, God gave us a friend to count on, somebody who will always and certainly be there for you. Utterly reliable, consistently present, powerful and able to take all that God has placed in you and make it a reality. He's given you a friend that sticks closer than a brother. The one who knows everything about everything has come to live in your temporary reality so that your eternal destination can be fully secured. He died, rose to life so that you could know that He is God and is working on your behalf to make you like Him. Someone say amen. So forgiveness is yours, friendship is yours. He also gave us guidance, an unchanging truth and glorified Jesus as the absolute foundation of that truth and righteousness forevermore. When we put our confidence in who Christ is and what he has accomplished for us, we are on a sure foundation, the solid rock upon which we build our lives. Not the sand of inconsistent cultural norms, but the eternal reference point of what it means to be truly connected to God is found by being rooted and established in the love of God. Jesus is our true north. He is our guiding point, our starting point. And there is no other that we can rely on like him. No one who is as truthful as he is, no one who we can be confident in as the truth, the way and the life that we're searching for. He gives us guidance in a changing world with an unchanging confidence that he is who he says he is and he's accomplished what he promised he would accomplish. Someone say amen for that. And church, he gave you life. He gave me life. Not a life that will be pitied or even necessarily understood by people outside of relationship with him at at this point but it's not in vain every time i have done something that he's asked me to do it is not in vain every time i've not done something that he's asked me to do it's not in vain Every time I've made a decision to live sacrificially and beyond myself, it is not in vain. Every time I stand and talk to somebody about Jesus Christ, it is not in vain. No prayer is in vain. No praise is in vain. No giving is in vain. No church attendance is in vain. No Bible study is in vain. Nothing of it is in vain. And one day a time is coming on this earth when those who have criticized you will seek you out They will ask the question, what do they have that I don't have? And we will respond by saying, Christ Jesus, the risen one. In a world that's vastly and spiraling into a place of hopelessness, the church will rise in these hours with a hope that is so confident and steadfast that no amount of anarchy from the devil's hand will ever shift what happens in the reality of a person who belongs to Jesus Christ. They loved not their life even unto death. That's where we're heading. That's what Christ the resurrected one will provide for us in a world so clouded and so indeed broken. Not to be pitied, but one day to be envied. And he gave us everlasting joy, a joy that will not end at death. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? My Jesus has risen and overcome you. I am not intimidated by you. I am not defined by you. And I won't be stopped because of you. Because he, the eternal one, has risen from the grave. I also will rise with Christ Jesus. Come on, thank the Lord. So church, let us on this Resurrection Sunday not just have some vague understanding of what Christ has provided for us. Let us wholeheartedly give ourselves to discovering the fullness that is ours as a result of his resurrection.